And now, podcasting from a two-person hot tub high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK, Rick, and their highly paid intern, Malort. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Tuesday, July 26, 2022, and I have my good friends, Pamela Dunley. She's the president and CEO of Elmhurst Memorial Hospital, and Dr. Michelle Mazir, who is the immediate past president of the medical staff at the hospital, and she's also the co-chair of the incident, uh, or she's Oh my gosh! I just I just messed it up, Doctor Mazir. You're you're the co. I've got this all messed co, up. Co, co incident commander over COVID. Co incident commander over COVID operations. I'm going to put that at the end. Um, so she is the expert on everything COVID within the walls of Elmer's Memorial Hospital. So welcome, ladies. How are you? Great, and I'm looking out my window, and it's a beautiful, sunny day. You know, and we've been very lucky in our weather here. Even if we've had hot days, it's not been like the other parts of the country. So we feel very blessed that we have this sunny day today. So one of my coworkers, uh, her daughter lives in St. Louis, and since midnight, they had over a foot of rain down there. Can you imagine oh, that? Oh, my goodness. And uh, <laughs> she's at home bailing out her basement um, oh. and holding down the fort while her husband had to go to work. And I'm really feeling sorry for those folks down in the greater St. Louis area. They just got absolutely hammered. I think the 1987 flood here in, in this area was 12 or 13 inches over a 24, 30-hour period. I can't imagine an 8- or 9-hour period. That's That's just... Oh my gosh, I can't imagine. So anyway, it's beautiful here, but the folks in St. Louis are suffering right now. So let's keep them in our thoughts we'll and prayers. So can you Absolutely. give me a, can you give me a quick update on the COVID census as it relates to Elmhurst Hospital? I'll be happy to. The last time we talked, it was June 14th, and on that date, we had nine inpatients and four that were awaiting results, and um, none of no patients on vents. And currently today we have 22 inpatients with five awaiting results, but still nobody on a vent. Um, deaths went from 296 to 298, so it's only two deaths over that period of time, which I think is really good because I think that's the lowest we've had. Um, of our current inpatients, 15 of them have been vaccinated and seven of them are not vaccinated. In DuPage County, we went from 237,000 to 251,000, and DuPage County deaths went from 1,816 to 1,831. The state, I can't tell you what the state was at before because I don't have that in front of me, I'm sorry, but the, oh yeah, the state before was 3.37 million, and uh, right now it's 3.55 million who have had COVID, and deaths went from 38,320 to 38,822. So the state is still having deaths at a higher rate than we are, it appears. Um, discharges of COVID, the good news, we went from 3,091 to 3,224, and we stay consistent at a 97% recovery rate. So now that we got a quick update on, on where the current levels are, let me let me skip a little bit before we get into the real nitty gritty of what's going on with COVID, and mention that I just read that uh, Pam, you're retiring at your end. How uh, 
Are you looking forward to that or a little scared? Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm at the right age for retirement, and um, but I will a piece of my heart will always be here at Elmhurst Hospital. I love this hospital. I love everybody who works here, the community, the support the community has given us, the kind of care we provide, the culture of the organization. So I was really um, thoughtful about my retirement. And I wanted to make sure that the people who would follow me in leadership would be able to keep our culture going and really understand what we have built as an organization. So I'm very pleased to announce that um, Dr. Kim Derry, who is our current chief medical officer and who is an OB by training, uh, did run the OB area for physicians for quite a few years. And, um, and has been at the organization about eight or nine years, she has um, accepted to take my place when I leave at the end of December. And I will spend the next five and a half months working with her very closely to make sure that she is set up for success. She has a good team around her. She has uh, Bridget McLemore, who took Laura Eslick's role, and, um, and Marcy Lafito, who took Jean Lyon's role, both people who have been here a long time who really know and understand our culture. And we will be doing an internal search for a chief medical officer to take Dr. Derry's role. And I am sure that person will be equally committed to our culture and our organization. So I'm very excited. I'm going to move by a couple of my daughters out in South Carolina. I will still have two daughters here, so I'll be coming back frequently. But um, it's a new chapter for me, and as I said, my this organization is going to stay in my heart forever. Well, um, the two daughters that are that are up this way, they're probably jealous that you're moving down there, but I'm sure the, the <laughs> weather's a little more pleasant year-round, although it gets hot in the summer down in South Carolina. So uh, I know it's a ways off, but um, we're, we're excited for you, but we'll miss you when that time comes, and I know Dr. Derry's a, a great person, very intelligent. I've gotten to know her over the last few years, and uh, I wish her well, too, when that time comes. And I know the two of you will work together uh, until you do reach that that retirement day at the end of the year. So uh, anyway, thank, thanks for all you've done so far and what you're going to do the next few months getting Dr. Derry ready. So back to the, the, the nitty-gritty of COVID. So are, are most of the folks that are inpatient now, you mentioned you had 22 at this point, are they mostly elderly or do they have comorbidities or are there some that you just wouldn't expect to be in the hospital with COVID? No, I think that you are correct. I think that they're actually both of those. So we know that age is an independent risk factor for not doing well with COVID. So about half of our inpatients recently have been um, elderly patients from long-term care facilities. And then the other 50% who might be younger, maybe in that 30 to 60 year age group, really are people with significant comorbid medical problems, um, things like pulmonary problems, asthma, cardiac, diabetes, hypertension. So I, I don't think that what we're seeing on the inpatient side is unexpected. I kind of follow the inpatient levels at the hospital even week to week. Uh, even when we haven't done a podcast in a while. And with the exception of where we are right now at 22 inpatients, we, as if I'm a doctor or something like that, um, <laughs> but we're, where the hospital is now at 22 um, is a little bit of a spike from where it's been. But 
it's it seems like it's it's been fairly low for four or five months. And if I look back over the last 28 months of the pandemic, um, I don't see a lull like you've had the last four or five months. So is it a sign that there there might be an end to this pandemic or are you nowhere near ready to say that yet? So uh, a couple things about the end of the pandemic. Um, I would like to declare it over right now and just make everybody fall in line. But the World Health Organization is actually the entity that will decide when we move from pandemic to endemic. And I think there's a lot of confusion around that. If you think of another disease that is endemic, it's influenza. So influenza is something that we live with. It lives in our communities and it has seasonal variation, but really is, is always kind of here. When we consider if we're going to move from pandemic to endemic, it's not, there's not a, a switch to flip. So it's not this set number, this set criteria that we say, okay, we met these criteria, we're done. It's really more of a subjective, um, subjective call and it's a judgment call and multiple things go into it. So not only the number of cases, but the impact that it's having on society as well as the severity of the illness. So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, we're hopeful that this lull that we're seeing continues. I think that also the fall, um, you know, fall is typically when we start to see an uptick in our influenza cases, you know, late fall and winter as we put all the kids back to school and that kind of thing. So I think the fall is probably going to dictate kind of where we go from here. Can you give me an idea of what uh, the medical community is worried about as it relates to new subvariants or variants of the coronavirus that might either be starting to take hold somewhere in the world, elsewhere in our country, or even locally? Yeah, I think the one that is really predominant right now is the BA5 variant. And it's it's interesting to see the different presentations that patients come in with with the different variants. Um, this one is very contagious. So we're seeing lots of breakthrough cases in people that are vaccinated and even up to date with their vaccines. Um, I will say that in general, though, the patients that we're seeing on the ambulatory side are um, mildly ill, better than it was back in the past when people were, were so sick from it and that, you know, that told us, that story was told in how high our hospitalization rates were in the past. So different variant, more contagious, but probably less uh, severe illness right now. I know as uh, the medical community learned more and more about the coronavirus, that there were different phases of what the public was advised to do, including at the very beginning, wash your hands like crazy. You know, everybody was worried about hand washing and not necessarily uh, particles that were airborne. Um, and we've, we've learned, obviously, since then, as a society and, and the medical community, and one of the things that I saw a lot of was everybody was taking temperatures. And I remember thinking to myself, if you've got a fever, you pretty much know it because you don't feel well. And so I'm wondering how effective that really was at screening patients, or not patients, but screening folks that were infected with the coronavirus, whether it be at a hospital or a business. Is that liable to come back if it does spike again, or was that really not that useful? You know, I think at the beginning, 
first of all, we were operating under a lot of fear. We were told that we had to take temperatures, so part of it was we were following rules. And in the beginning, we did, you know, we would find people. We would find people in the routine screening that we would not allow into our building. So I think there was a time and a place for it, and it is definitely not now. So I would say the majority of people that we're seeing right now with COVID actually don't have a fever. So that using fever as a screening tool has definitely fallen out of favor. And I agree with you. When you have a fever, particularly as an adult, you know it. You don't feel well. Um, people are pretty good at identifying that within themselves. So I, we still just encourage people to know when they don't feel well and to keep themselves, you know, away from the general public and outside of our hospital walls. The last time we spoke, we uh, were talking about vaccines being approved for children under five. And, you know, I was kind of pondering and asking whether we whether the medical community thought people would take advantage of that. And I've read recently that they haven't. Um, parents, for the most part, are electing not to get their kids vaccinated. Now, maybe that's just uh, they're waiting for school to start. I don't know. But is that concerning to the medical community? And do you think that parents will start to get their younger children vaccinated in, in significantly higher numbers than they've chosen to at, to this point? I, I do think it's concerning for the medical community from um, anything that I could find. It looks like the vaccination rate in that under a uh, under five age group is only 3% in Illinois. And so, you know, the impact of that is not only on that age group, but it's also on the rest of us. So vaccinating this younger age group ultimately helps the older vulnerable patient population. And I think that most people think, okay, under five, young, healthy kids, they, you know, kids, we always say kids bounce, they don't typically break, they do well when they're ill. But there is still a small percentage of kids that are at risk of um, developing a particular inflammatory syndrome, so the multi-system inflammatory syndrome, and that can be pretty severe inflammation in, you know, major organs like your heart, your lungs, your kidneys, your brain. So again, it's a small number of kids that get that, but it, it's not without completely without risk to not have your under five unvaccinated. I can tell you the ones that we've been doing at our Downers Grove location drive-through, um, the parents have been so thrilled. It's really been kind of a great experience for the staff. You know, you have these kids in their five-point harness car seats getting their vaccine, um, and, the, and the parents are loving it. So we've had good experience with it, but we, we definitely do need to get those numbers up. The long-term effects that we saw um, taking hold in certain COVID patients early on, um, some of them were pretty serious, and some of them were, you know, maybe a little bit foggy brain, as I would describe it from my, you know, using my uh, medical degree. Um, what what kind of long-term effects are we seeing now from the more recent variants? The same type, or are they tend to be different? So I feel like, and this is anecdotally, I, I feel like we're seeing less um, people coming complaining of these long-term effects, and I think that's probably related to increased vaccine numbers in the population, less severe illness is what we're seeing. So really, in the vaccinated population, we're seeing um, less of what we were what we were seeing early on in this. I, and I, again, I know I say this every time, but I think time will tell. I think so much information is going to come out of this pandemic, and we just we just don't even know um, what this long term COVID will look like. So I know uh, last time we spoke, those that were over 
50 were uh, eligible for a second booster. And um, maybe some folks with co comorbidities were also eligible for that. I, I don't remember, but is, um, is there going to be uh, another group of people who are eligible for that or are they already like, you know, have they brought the age down for a second booster yet? No, the guidelines have not yet changed. I anticipate that they will change. I think the exciting thing that has happened in the world of boosters is that um, earlier this month, the FDA approved the manufacturing of a bivalent vaccine. So the, the vaccine producers are adding another variant of COVID. They're adding the uh, Omicron variant, a component of that to the vaccine. And we're hoping that that will be ready to put into arms in the fall. Will that be uh, on all the companies' vaccines? That is uh, Pfizer. I know Pfizer and Moderna are working okay. on that. Okay. And does it look like that third booster is going to be available for those over 50 maybe come fall? I would anticipate that they're going to expand that third booster, but we have no, we have no indication one way or the other right now. So I just read about a new vaccine, the Norovax vaccine, and it's supposedly different than other vaccines. What what might you know about it and how does it differ from other vaccines? So it's actually called Novavax, um, and it's a two-dose COVID vaccine. It is It will be available for anybody 18 and older. It's two doses administered three to eight weeks apart. And, and the difference is it's more of a traditional protein-based vaccine so this is a vaccine that we're used to. We've seen it. We've had it. Um, examples would be the hepatitis, the hepatitis B vaccine, the shingles vaccine. Um, so it's something that the public is more familiar with and probably more comfortable with than the mRNA technology that was new to the public. Um, and storage of this vaccine is simpler. It can be stored in standard refrigeration. So it, it does make it a lot uh, easier the I don't have information on when it will be available. We keep we're, we keep getting told in the coming weeks, but I I don't know what that actually means. I do know that we have our team anticipating that this vaccine will be available to us, and so we'll be ready when we can order it. I'm guessing um, there's a lot of us, myself included, until you just said what you said, that wouldn't have known the difference between a protein-based vaccine and and the, uh, the mRNA, I think you called it. Um, so I, I think there'll be a lot of us that won't know the difference um, unless the education gets out there. Um, and, and hopefully that'll happen. And it'll be interesting to see if, if we do get that, that locally soon. So um, shifting gears a little bit, um, I've read that uh, the community investment fund that North Shore University Edward Elmhurst Health has established um, through the merger has started to disperse funds. So you can one of you talk about what's been dispersed, if anything, into what type of organization? Absolutely. So I'm happy to talk about it, but I first want to say the ability for us to do this and the willingness for us to do this is because of the merger that we had. And we did just come up with our new mission and vision for our new combined organization. So I want to let you all know that. You'll be the first to hear our new mission is to help everyone in our communities be their best. And I love that mission because we are all community hospitals. And people get worried when you become a little bit bigger that you'll lose sight of that. 
And that's why it being as part of our mission that make, helping our communities be their best is a perfect way to move forward, organized around the community. And our vision is safe, seamless, and personal, every person, every time. And that is just who we are, our culture. We have always believed in safe, seamless, and personal care. And to add every person, every time, just finishes it off. And we are very excited that that's what we're going to be working toward and the culture we'll be creating. So as we think about that, it makes sense that we are going to be investing in our communities, and we had announced that when the merger happened. So uh, North Shore did their investment a few months ago, and they had invested about $2.6 million. What we did was we took $100 million from each side, the North region and the South region, and we are taking the um, residuals of the, that money and using it to invest in our communities. And so for the South region, which is the Edward Elmhurst region, we announced on July 19th that we have awarded $3,994,000 to 14 different organizations across Cook, DuPage, and Will Counties. And um, that happened with an advisory board of community members who helped us choose which organizations. And they had to um, apply. They had to state what they were going to be using the money for. Um, some of them wanted it for more than a, a one-year um, amount, but we will decide every year which, which people we're going to be uh, or which organizations we'll be investing in. But uh, each of those 14 organizations fall into a few categories. So we did four within the Access, Navigation, Literacy, and Equity category. Um, that was DuPage Health Coalition, uh, the Greater Family Health, Naperville Education Foundation, and the Southwest Suburban um, Immigrant Project. And the, all of those are to really improve access to care and literacy around health care and making sure that there's easy navigation and equity for all members of our community. The second major group was food insecurities, and we are giving money to the Friends of Lyle, which is an expanded food storage and distribution center, and Loaves and Fishes, which is a mobile food delivery program. The third category is housing, and we are uh, giving money to Bridge Communities for their transitional housing for families facing homelessness, and DuPage Pads, which is the Emergency Housing and Stabilization Services. The fourth category is job creation and career development, and uh, two, two organizations under that category, Kids Matter, which is workforce training and mental health first aid programs in high school students, and the VNA Healthcare, which is nursing workforce pathway program. And the final category, which is a category near and dear to my heart, is mental health and substance use disorders. And there are four organizations that we are uh, giving money to, that is Easter Seals, DuPage, and Fox Valley Mental Health of Children with Disabilities and Their Families, the Indian Prairie School District 204 CARES Program, which is Mental Health, Wellness, and Health Equity Resources, the Outreach Community Ministries, which is Access to Affordable Mental Health Services, and Stepping Stones, which is a Recovery Home for Women and Children. So we are very excited about this. This is our first year doing it, and we're hoping this continues on for a long time because as we improve the health of our communities, we meet our mission of helping help everyone in our communities be their best.
those are significant donations with a lot of zeros. So uh, kudos to the organization for that. And as it relates to the almighty dollar, the Elmhurst Memorial Hospital Foundation has its largest fundraiser, uh, their autumn affair on September 10th of this year. And can you tell folks how they can attend that, maybe how they can donate if they can't attend, and whether or not there's a virtual option for attendance? So we are so excited because we want to be back in person this year, so we are not doing the virtual option. Uh, last year we did both because we were very nervous and end up having to cancel the in-person right a few weeks before the event and, and just go virtual. And it turned out good. We, we were able to raise uh, donations, and that we appreciate everybody that was involved in the virtual event. But this year we really want to all get back together. This event helps to fund programs for the organization, um, whatever the newest needs are, and it's, it's a really important event. So this year it's going to be Saturday, September 10th at the Four Seasons in Chicago, which is where we always hold it. We're very excited to get back there. The event starts at 6 p.m., and it has cocktails, dinner, dancing, and a high-quality auction. Tickets are $300 apiece, um, and there this time there's a beautiful... Mickey Mato Pearl and Diamond Bracelet from a private collection that is valued at $15,000 that is going to be offered in this game of chance where you just have to buy $100 tickets to be able to win a $15,000 beautiful, beautiful bracelet. And um, sponsorships are available out there, so if anybody's wanting to sponsor our events, and, um, and then we take general donations. So if you're interested, you can go on the foundation website, which is www.emhffoundation, so emhfoundation.org forward slash autumn affair. And you can get all the information, and we're looking forward to seeing everybody a chance to dress up and, and learn more about what our needs are and to celebrate the community together and celebrate this wonderful organization we have within our community. I've attended that in person uh, back before COVID, and it was an outstanding event. And uh, I would highly recommend it. It's a great night, good way to get away from uh, from our everyday life and go and in a high-end hotel with high-end food and great folks. So uh, check that out. Uh, one last thing I want to mention. So last night I had the privilege of uh, visiting my good friend, Kevin O'Hara, who happens to be in your hospital, has been there for five or six days. He was the best man at my wedding, and um, I think he has a serious hangnail problem that's very painful, and that's why he's in there. And he's up on the fourth floor, which I'm guessing is the hangnail ward. I'm not sure, but I, I want to tell you, well, unprompted, he said to me, he said, I know you have some friends in the administration here at the hospital. You've got to tell them what a great experience it's been, regardless of the fact that I'm not here because I'm healthy, but um, he's had a great experience. He said the staff is incredible. And while I was there, I experienced some staff members who came into the room and asked myself uh, asked me if I wanted something to drink. Um, just great, great customer service. And uh, kudos to uh, both of you ladies and all the folks at Elmhurst Memorial Hospital, and in particular, on the fourth floor hangnail ward. <laughs> 
You know, thank you so much for those words. And I just want to recognize the staff for bouncing back from all the burnout from COVID and remembering the, why they went into healthcare and the heart of what's so important, which is making sure that we create an environment where people feel safe, where they feel cared for, where they're, they're able to trust us so that they can heal as quickly as possible and, and with the support of their family members and friends around them, that it's, it's an environment that they feel safe and they know that they can uh, get the best care. And that's not easy to do when you've been through what our staff has been through or our physicians have been through. So I'm so glad that it came through for you and came through for for your friend, and hopefully he gets better quickly from that hangnail issue. <laughs> well, bravo to you and your staff, and uh, thanks for joining me today. And I apologize to Dr. Mazir for hacking her title horribly at the beginning. <laughs> That's okay. I threw you for a curveball. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. All right. Thank you. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right. Nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.